with 12 seconds remaining. The inbounds throw, looking for something. To the corner, Culver shot blocked by Key. And we have overtime for the national championship. Hunter hit the shot at the end of regulation. Oh, just it a... does it again. Rebound into the hands of Hunter. And Virginia with the all-time. I keep going back to this, and I can't title. beat it to death enough. Tell your 2011 self. Go back and find your 2011 self. Grab that radio from Frequency. Grab the DeLorean and go back. Tell your 2011 self that in 2019, Texas Tech and Virginia will be playing for the College Basketball National Championship. Like, we've had Cinderella's. Sure, telling yourself that Loyola would be within 80 minutes of a national championship or VCU or even going back to Butler. Like, that's stunning, but that's stunning on a different level. Here with two just historically mediocre or or downright bad programs for large portions of their history... I mean, these are two programs that routinely won 8, 9, 12, 13, 15 games per season, and they just played for a national championship. I try to think of a comparison. If you were to say eight years from now, it'd be like Colorado playing Boston College in the national championship game. Or like Nebraska TCU in the national championship game. Andrew Dowdy here on the High Motor Podcast, on the Hero Sports Podcast Network, wrapping things up in Minneapolis at the Final Four. Virginia getting that first ever title in their first ever championship game. Fantastic championship game. For as many huge shots as they hit, well, both teams hit. Hunter, DeAndre Hunter's corner three. Matt Mooney had that huge corner three in overtime. Odiasi, the three-point play uh, earlier. You know, for all those huge shots... Virginia went 12 for 12 from the line in overtime. I think it was four different guys who combined to hit all 12 free throws in overtime. On the High Motor Podcast this week, after a very late night in Minneapolis, John Fanta, college basketball writer, play-by-play guy, analyst for Fox Sports and the Big East Digital Network, he'll be coming up in a minute. Already looking ahead to 2019-2020. And then I also uh, want to pick up on a conversation that I had with John at the Final Four And then after that, I had some media time with Todd McShay uh, this morning, so I'm going to play some of that audio from that call. And then after that, I have a couple notes on my early uh, 2019-2020 top 25. Those rankings are available on Herosports.com, but I'll roll through a few items on that. I also want to ask John about a few Big East teams on there, see if I have them ranked maybe a little bit too high. Very quickly before we get humming here, a quick plug for next week. Awesome show next week. That'll be back to Mondays. So that show will air on Monday, April 15th. Tons of NFL draft talk. Dane Brugler will be on. Thor Nystrom will be on. If you have any mailbag questions for them, tweet them to the show at High Motor Pod. Any mailbag questions, we'll try to get to them next week. That's Monday, April 15th for Dane and Thor. Tweet them at High Motor Pod for questions on the 2019 NFL draft. Let's fire up the High Motor Podcast. John Fanta of Fox Sports and the Big East Digital Network on the High Motor Podcast. And John, I want to start with something that we briefly discussed at the Final Four in Minneapolis over the weekend. And you brought it up, I think it was maybe at halftime or in the second half of that Texas Tech-Michigan State game. And I think you said something to the effect of that, that Texas Tech has got to be one of the most underappreciated Final Four teams on a national level in a while. And it's not really 
a discussion of, you know, unexpected or unappreciated Final Four teams or Final Four runs. Like, for example, you know, 2011 VCU, they had an unbelievable run last year, Loyola. And I think everyone understands and appreciates how wild those runs were. And I think everyone who wasn't a fan of the teams that Loyola beat last year or VCU beat in 2011, I think all of us really appreciate how rare that happens. But, I mean, those were those were pure, shocking Cinderella's. Texas Tech wasn't really a shocking Cinderella. Sure, they weren't a popular Final Four pick, but, I mean, this is still a team that broke out last year before this season. They won the Big 12 regular season title with K-State. They were a three-seed, and, you know, historically a lot of three-seeds have made runs, and I think it's more of a conversation on a national level. Does everyone really understand that this wasn't just a Cinderella run from Texas Tech. This is a really damn good team. And I think you asked something like, what other teams are like that? What other teams, you know, in the last 10, 15, whatever years that aren't really one of those top brands in their conference? I think you use some word like that, how Texas Tech is kind of buried uh, in terms of a brand in, in the Big 12. Yes, they've had a good season, but it's still Texas Tech basketball, and they're not one of those top brands in the Big 12. And we tossed around some teams on Saturday night, so I'm curious, what other teams do you think fit that mold of of reaching the Final Four yet being very underappreciated on a national level while doing so? It's a difficult question, Andrew. I mean, I look at UConn in 2011 was when one of the followers said the, the question when we asked that on Twitter, and what I would say is Kemba Walker had taken the sports world by storm. He was leading every sports center. He was leading every major highlight show. Kemba took over in the Big East tournament, which really then just spring the head into the big dance. So I don't think that it's, it's UConn. I'll tell you what, I, I, I look and just at, at recent years, I feel like even in 2016, what I would say is Villanova made the Final Four. But I don't think people actually thought they could be hoisting a national championship trophy solely because they lost to Oklahoma in the Pearl Harbor Invitational earlier that year by 30-plus points, an embarrassing loss. Then they would either have to go through North Carolina or Syracuse in the final. Maybe it's it's that. Maybe it's, it's that team recently solely because people just didn't believe that they could actually win the championship. And I get that sense with Texas Tech. It's tough to compare because you said BCU, you said Loyola. Those are true Cinderella's. Texas Tech has the problem of they're in a power brand conference, but when you thought of the Big 12 at the beginning of the season, you didn't think of Texas Tech. Why? They were picked within its seventh, and they were rebuilding, and you just didn't put them in that category of, of, you you thought, okay, maybe they're going to be on the bubble. Instead, they're a three seed. They're a lock for the tournament. They have the National Coach of the Year in Chris Beard after losing four impact players. You have a lottery pick. I mean, that's the most amazing thing to me about this championship game. They won a share of the Big 12 regular season title. It, it has not gotten anywhere near close to the attention of it. In fact, there's been more attention to Kansas not winning the Big 12 regular season title than there has been to Texas Tech getting a share of it and Kansas State what they did this season. So they, they've had to battle that. We're in a period now where the national sports narratives can get controlled by one player or one team, and the Zion effect also lends itself to it, Andrew, is because Zion Williamson, and rightly so, has controlled all college basketball conversations, it's kept other teams from really being in those conversations as much as, as normal. Do I think that Do I think that this championship game is an example that maybe the sport is trending in a different direction or, or we're going to see less blue bloods or less great players? I, I don't know about that. I think 
I think that's a little bit of a bold take, uh, but I, I think that that Texas Tech is a prime example of what this tournament is all about. But also look at it this way. People aren't talking about this. Their Ken Palm, points per possession, defensively, it is the best in the last two decades of college basketball. The best. You're talking about one of the best defenses in recent memory. So this team is not getting enough credit, and they should be getting more credit. Chris Beard has done an outstanding coaching job. Yeah, I think you make a really good point, kind of the Zion effect there. And I go back to um, even late on Saturday and early on Sunday, I think I was writing an article about something that Tony Bennett said. He called that UMBC uh, loss a year before a painful gift and that you know it was extremely hard to swallow at the time, obviously, but it's actually turned out to kind of be a blessing in disguise. And in that, I wrote that every, I mean, every single week, every single day for, for basically the last year, Virginia has been answering these questions about UMBC and and part of me is almost like all right you know fellow media members here let's let's just stop but they're very fair they're very reasonable questions because it's it's a storyline that you just can't make this up I mean I, I keep going back to saying try to tell your 2011 self that that Virginia and Texas Tech play for the national championship game but then also go back to yourself and say you know what this this one of these teams is going to lose to UMBC, the first 16-over-1 upset NCAA tournament history, and the next year they're going to make a run and go to the national championship game. So I think while I almost get annoyed with the Zion factor and get annoyed with these UMBC questions, it's extremely fair, and I don't know if that existed back in. one of, When I tweeted that out on Saturday night, the conversation that we had, one of the uh, teams that somebody suggested was 2000 Wisconsin, and I thought that was, that was a perfect example because they did make it to the, the, the Final Four after being a pretty historically mediocre program. They had a few NCAA tournament appearances, I think like in 94, 96, or 97, and then 98 or 99, somewhere in that range. They had about three in a period of five or six years. But this is still a really mediocre program like Texas Tech has been for, for much of uh, their existence. But how that has changed, I mean, we're only 19 years later from that. There wasn't really a Zion factor. Yes, you had stars back in 2000. It's just pretty remarkable. And I guess my question for you is, do you see that changing. I mean, I don't think we're, I don't know if we're going to have a guy like Zion. I mean, people that have been covering the sport for a lot longer than I have, they've said that Zion is a transcendent player that they have just never seen before. And I, I don't know if we're going to see that again in, in three years or five years or 10 years. So I guess the question is, do you think that we'll see other teams like Texas Tech down the road? And I, I'm kind of on the same page with you. I don't know how much conclusion I want to draw and say this is the future of college basketball this is a future we're going to see more defensive teams like Virginia and Texas Tech but do you think five years down the road or any any time down the road do you think we're going to see more teams like Texas Tech that are just underappreciated on a national level because most people latch on to one player or one team or one coach and kind of drive that the entire season that's more about the narrative scene than it is the sport and that's where I think people are kind of getting mixed up on things is there have been people that have been writing writing this past couple of days. Look, the NBA draft rule changes that are coming up in 2021 that will allow a player like Zion Williamson to go straight to the NBA from high school. It's absolutely the right rule. It, it makes total sense. The, those changes are going to impact college basketball. And it's on college basketball officials to figure out how they're going to handle those changes and how they're going to work with the NBA, how they're going to make things work for the sport. Having said this, number one, March Madness is not going anywhere. March Madness is the best tournament in American sports. You, you could just say the World Cup is the only other one that rivals the intensity of it in world sports. 
but March Madness is the best three week three weeks in American sports in terms of drama, parody. That's not going anywhere. It makes the sport. Look, for the purists like you and me, we know what Texas Tech is capable of. This was an abnormal year in college basketball in that one player controlled all of the storylines. You're not going to get a Zion Williamson ever again. You can get a player that's great in college basketball, but Zion has earned that right. He has earned that right to stand in a category of his own. There's no question about that. Do I think that college basketball is going to be negatively impacted by teams like Texas Tech and Virginia in the final? Don't mix up, and I'm not saying this to you, Andrew, I'm saying this to the general fan. Don't mix up the style that they play for it being good or bad for the sport. I think that's unfair to these two teams, unfair in a lot of respects. And these are two teams, they didn't get there by fluke. They got there because they have found heroics. They found dramatic. Virginia particularly. Virginia has delivered some high-level drama, and Mamadi Diakite's shot will live on in NCAA tournament lore. So I think we sometimes read too much into things. I mean, Virginia's a one-seed. People are, are still, like... Oh, they just they play such an unappetizing style. Or not, but I get it. I get that. But don't take away from them what they've done. And, and then I, I think it's wrong to say, oh, it's the start of a trend that the sport's going to have more title games like this. We're one bounce of the ball away from those same narrative people getting what they want. Duke could have beaten Michigan State if, if uh, Kenny Goins doesn't make that three. On the other side of the bracket, Kentucky almost got it done. They just didn't have enough. I, I think sometimes we blow things out of proportion. I don't think that it's bad for the sport. I think that the NCAA has to address the NBA draft ball. I absolutely agree with that. I don't think you're going to get a Zion Williamson again, but that's okay. That's, that's The sport is going to survive because the drama that March Madness produces, the opportunity for Loyola, VCU, other schools that you can't get in other sports, those opportunities are what sports fans love. And by the way, Andrew, for what it's worth, when those teams have made the Elite Eight or Final Four, it's actually produced less quality games. I'm all for the upset, but the reason why the Elite Eight was so great is because we had power conference teams. You know, and Virginia and Texas Tech were two of those power conference teams that won dramatic games, and now we're tearing them down. I just I don't think that the two can go hand in hand. I, I get that it might not be the sexy factor, but let's not take away from these two teams. Let's not take away from the best sporting event in America. Yeah, and looking ahead here, John, I just put together my my never-too-early top 25 for next season already, six and a half months in advance. And anyways, you being a Big East guy, I want to get your take on a few things. I have three Big East teams in my top 25. Um, They're actually all in my top 15, actually, one of which I feel really good about and two that I'm wondering if I'm too high on. So let's start with the one that I actually feel really good about. I'm curious if you feel the same way. I have Seton Hall at number 11. I mean, Miles Powell obviously declaring for the NBA draft, but he could return. He's not in a whole lot of projections. Seems very possible that he's back. Quincy McKnight back, several others. What are you feeling on Seton Hall that season? Am I too confident in them at number 11? I, I think that number 11 may be a little bit too high, but they're a top 20 team. This Seton Hall team is excellent defensively, and that's a credit to Kevin Willard. These kids, there's something about them. I've been close with this program. They just have such a commitment to getting stops. On the offensive end of the floor, they have some reinforcements coming in. They have a kid named Tyree Samuels, six foot seven forward, who, who Seton Hall really likes. Then you're going to see Anthony Nelson, the point guard, take a leap from freshman to sophomore year. Nelson came on at the end of this past year. I think he is the key to the season. 
because Quincy McKnight had a quality year, the Sacred Heart transfer, but they need Nelson to really take that next step to help McKnight with the point guard load. Miles Powell is an All-American. He's one of the ten best players in America heading into next season, and I would vote him Big East preseason player of the year. I think Marcus Howard will end up getting it, but uh, my vote's with Powell because Powell ended up having uh, just an all-around stronger finish to this past season, and while Marcus may have put up some better numbers, I'd take Powell before Marcus Howard. That, that's just where I'm at at this point. The way, And maybe it's recency, but I, I, that's where I'm at. Seton Hall's a top-20 team, and Kevin Willard turned down Virginia Tech to come back to the Hall because he knows he can get to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Now it's just about producing results. Another name to watch with the Pirates, Ike Obiagu. Florida State transfer seven-footer. He is a shut-down shot blocker. And you mentioned Kevin Willard. What's your what's your thought on Willard long-term? Do you think that Virginia Tech was a job that, that really interested him, or was it kind of just there, and what would it actually take him to leave Seton Hall? That's a good question. For Virginia Tech, Kevin Willard was definitely interested in Virginia Tech. They put up good money. I have on, on pretty good authority that, that they put up uh, over $3 million per year for Willard. Having said this, he's got a good team coming back, and he's got a wife and two young kids, two young boys that love Westfield, New Jersey. And there's a contrast between Westfield, New Jersey, and Blacksburg, Virginia. It's got to be the right pick for Kevin Willard. And, Andrew, here's the other thing. Virginia Virginia Tech, their Sweet 16 appearance in Washington, D.C. last week, and they bowed out to Duke, that was their first Sweet 16 appearance since the 1960s. It's a really difficult place to win in advance. I think Kevin Willard could see the opportunity to go to the Sweet 16 with Seton Hall or go to the second weekend, and then he could get poached or he could get talked to by an even bigger program than Virginia Tech. So he, he's got a great trajectory. Kevin Willard's done a tremendous job at Seton Hall. What I would say to Pirates followers is, though, it, it should not have taken until Virginia Tech reached out to Kevin Willard for and to get appreciated this much because it's a hard place to win Seton Hall. Next year, they can go to their fifth straight NCAA tournament. Seton Hall has never, in their 100-plus years of, of playing basketball, gone to five straight tournaments. That's going to happen next year. So I have Seton Hall at 11, and then I mentioned a couple of them that I'm not sure if I'm too high on. I, I have Villanova at 15, and then Marquette at number 7. We'll start uh, with Villanova. Booth, Booth and Pascal, uh, they're gone. They accounted for almost 50% of Villanova scoring last year. Um, but, but you get Gillespie back, you get Samuels back, uh, you get a 5-star kid in Brian uh, Antoine. I think he's a 14th-ranked player in the country there. Uh, am I too high on Villanova? And then am I also too high thinking that what all of Marquette, they have so many guys coming back. They have so much Hauser and Howard and all these guys coming back and all the scoring. Am I also too high on Marquette at number seven. I think you're okay on Villanova because you have to give Jay Wright the benefit of the doubt. And every time we go and start to, to doubt Jay Wright or Villanova, they prove us wrong. So I, I, I think that's okay. I really do. I, I would put Villanova still in the top 20 somewhere because they, they deserve it. They have a couple of big-time recruits coming in in Brian Antoine and Jeremiah Robinson Earl. For Marquette, the jury's out. We're, we're, we're going to have to wait until March. And, and I know that that sounds weird, but until Marquette can prove itself in late February and March, Andrew, it's tough to trust them as the seventh-best team in the country. What we do know is this. They, they do have everybody back. They're going to be fueled by the fact that they got blown out by John Moran Murray State in their NCAA tournament game. They lost to Seton Hall in a deflating Big East semifinal 
appearance. So they need to prove themselves in March. Crucial year for Steve Wojciechowski. It's going to be interesting to see how he handles it. Uh, year six for Wojo. So th- this is going to be really fascinating. Uh, but for for me, I think uh, I think the biggest thing is year. Uh, going back to Wojo, it's going to be year five for him. But for me, I think for Marquette, they've got a Utah State transfer coming in, Kobe McEwen. Remember the name. Everybody listening to this, Kobe McEwen. He is a Big time, big time player, and this is a kid that's going to really add to what they do in the backcourt. So watch out for McEwen, the Utah State transfer. I think that he's a, a bright talent that could really shine for the Golden Eagles. And none of those three teams that, that we just went through, Marquette, Villanova, Seton Hall, were really anywhere near the Final Four. I mean, you could make a case that some of them could have made a Final Four run, but uh, in reality, they ended up being nowhere near the Final Four. If these rankings of mine proved to be at all accurate, I mean, they should be near or in that Final Four discussion next year. And I have a handful of other teams high that weren't really in discussion uh, this year, like Cincinnati. I have the number six in my top 25. Louisville is number 16. They lost in the first round, weren't anywhere near that Final Four discussion. And, and like I mentioned earlier, it's still absurdly early. We still have a lot of NBA decisions coming, several high-level recruits. Uh, we have like four or 500 transfers that have yet to land for next season. Uh, but right now, do you see any other teams outside of the Big East who weren't in that Final Four discussion this year uh, that could take a huge step forward and be in that discussion next year? Fascinating question. Trying to think here of, of some teams that I really like. Yeah, I mentioned Cincinnati. Like, I have them uh, six in my top 25. Louisville is 16. Even, like, Iowa. I mean, Iowa has tons of guys back. They lose Nicholas Bear, but that's it. I mean, Iowa has Tyler Cook coming back, Luca Garza, the breakout season, Jordan Bohannon. They're, I mean, my top 25 is littered, and yes, a lot of these teams won't end up being in the top 25 nine months from right now, but it seems like there are a lot of teams kind of like in that 7 to 20 range that weren't anywhere near that discussion this year, that could potentially take a huge step forward next year. That's a really good point on Iowa because they have everybody back and they went through the experience that they had last year. For Cincinnati, it's show me, don't tell me, so I'm not sure about the Bearcats. Uh, I'm thinking about you know the, the SEC, I expect Florida to have a bounce-back season. I don't know how deep they go, but I expect them to have a bounce-back season. Uh, Final Four, I don't know about that, but uh, cer- certainly expect them to respond. It, it's it's tough. There's multiple layers there because if you look at the Big Ten, like I, I think Michigan State can get back there because they, they have a really good core coming back. And I, I, expect, uh, I expect that we see... Uh, Tom Izzo and Michigan State head, head back to another Final Four next year. That's that's what I really foresee happening. Is there a Final Four team in the Big East? I don't know about that. Uh, the SEC has performed so well, and uh, nothing would, would uh, tell me otherwise for next season. If, if you look from, from top to bottom in the ACC, I mean, that, that league's got three Final Four contenders, if not more. So, We'll, we'll see what happens. You know, I, I want to see what the Pac-12 does. Like, that, that conference just uh, had a brutal year. They have got to bounce back some way, somehow, next season. It has got to happen for them. Um, we'll, we'll see how it, how it all plays out. Fascinating offseason storyline is going off the map here a little bit out west, but Nevada. Now with Eric Musselman going to Arkansas, Nevada – was poised to have such a big season this year. Now they've got to start to build 
from the bottom again. So we'll see how they handle that. But uh, I think that there's there's several dark horse teams that you just talked about. I, I really like Iowa. You brought up another one. You, you brought up Iowa. You brought up Cincinnati. Who was the other team? Uh, I have Louisville, actually, 16. I mean, Cunningham's gone. Uh, I've got a couple of guys testing the draft waters. He's got but a great class coming in. Huge class coming in. I mean, Sutton's coming back. Malik Williams should be back. Um, missing Ryan McMahon should be back. So I think that could be a team that I – mean, I don't know. What do you, I kind of had the impression that Louisville exceeded expectations. They tapered off late in the season. They, Would you say that Mac is – ahead of schedule after year one or were you kind of expecting them to be in this position at least roster wise going into year two well i expected them to be in the NCAA tournament i I didn't have any doubt there chris mack is just that good of a coach chris mack is going to go to a final four at louisville it's only a matter of time he's that good of a coach he's bringing in big time talent which the louisville brand also lends itself to Louisville is in great shape, and that program is going to come back with a vengeance. So they are a Final Four dark horse. I wanted to dump them in as well. That's a great pick by you, a great pick. I don't, I don't necessarily agree on Cincinnati. I really like the Louisville pick, though. One other thing before we go here, um, for those of you who are listening, you can you can find my Never Too Early Top 25 on Herosports.com. You mentioned Nevada. I actually have Utah State in my Top 25. I have the number 20. I think unless Craig Smith is is grabbed by another program late, they got a lot, a lot of guys coming back, a, a lot of young guys on that roster. All right, John, hey, great seeing you in Minneapolis this weekend. Uh, for those of you who are not following John on Twitter, he's at John underscore Fanta, especially you Big East guys. A lot of awesome Big East content on there. Hey, I really appreciate the time. Take care. Andrew, always fun to join you. You do an incredible job for Hero Sports. And I'll tell you what, your city did not disappoint. Minneapolis was a prime Final Four spot after a lot of people were thinking, oh, it's going to snow or it's going to be cold. I'll tell you what, this city uh, did a really nice job hosting this it's Final Four. Fun to see, man. Thanks. Yeah, I think they rebounded from the whole Super Bowl debacle when it was about negative 20 degrees here. A <laughs> little, bit, little bit rough weather over the weekend for those semifinals, but it turned out to be pretty darn nice on Monday. Well, glad you enjoyed yourself. Uh, take care. We'll chat soon. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. The 2019 NFL Draft begins Thursday, April 25th, just a couple of weeks away. First run, obviously, Thursday, second and thirds on Friday the 26th, and then four through seven on uh, Saturday the 27th, just two weeks away from the draft. Uh, You know, it seems like this year there's been more talk, and maybe it's not more, maybe it's the same amount and I'm just seeing it more, but there seems to be a little bit more talk about moving the draft up. I've seen some people in the industry, some people that have been around for a while that know what they're talking about, suggest moving it up before free agency. I don't really have a strong opinion either way on that. Like, is the draft going to be less awesome if it's in March, you know, four weeks earlier in March, and then free agency begins in early April, mid-April, like two to three weeks after the draft? No, of course. I think it would dramatically alter free agency and the draft. I think what you'd see, and this is just my guess here, what you'd see is teams that are already extremely overconfident they are extremely eternally optimistic maybe that's the right way of putting it about their talent evaluation and talent development skills the front office the personnel guys the coaching staff I think because they are very overconfident and eternally optimistic you'd see them pre-free agency take some guys and think damn we nailed it think we can coach this guy up we can make this fifth, sixth-round quarterback into an immediate backup. We can help this edge rusher bend more. We can improve the footwork of this corner. We can improve uh, the physicality of this receiver. 
we can do those things in four and a half, five, six months. And sure, not for all the draft pick draft picks, but a lot. You know, at the coaches in front office, they kind of always think that they can fix it and work with guys. And, and there's nothing wrong with that some of the time. You know, sometimes they are right, and the optimism and confidence is fine, but obviously they're wrong a lot of the time too. And, and that, that arrogance, if you want to call it, it kind of gets in the way of progress, and it can hurt teams in the end. But yeah, I think I think the draft and free agency would be a hell of a lot different if the draft came first. I think free agents would suffer big time. So you'd think the NFLPA would push hard to keep it the same. I mean, no way are veterans going to want that. Yeah, there'd be lots of cases where teams might not fill holes they wanted to in the draft, and now they have to spend big in free agency. But you know, I guess with the coaches' confidence, I think they go to their GM more often than not and say, no, we're good. You know, we got this guy in the first. We had the two first-round picks. We got this guy in the third, or these two guys on Saturday. We got this. We can coach them up. Don't go out and spend $20 million in a veteran corner. Save that for an extension. Don't spend $15 million on a backup quarterback. We got this guy in the fifth round. I think it would be definitely fascinating to see how that would be so different. Um, but I would guess that they would not change it. Okay, like I said, I had some media time with Todd McShay this morning. Some good stuff from him. going to play a couple of clips about quarterbacks, specifically Dwayne Haskins. He mentions one thing about teams looking at Haskins versus Drew Locke that kind of surprised me. So two clips on Haskins and the quarterbacks. And then the third piece is Ja'Kai Polite. He's fallen dramatically. He was the 20th pick in McShay's Mach 1.0 back in mid-December. Now, it's a long time ago now. Uh, but right now, I mean, not even half of his side of the dueling mocks with Mel Kuyper. That was released last week. He wasn't even in the top two rounds of there. He's not in uh, the, the first round in most mocks. And Kuyper barely even had him in his side of the dueling mocks. He had them at number, he had Kuyper at number 63, just barely in the second round uh, for a guy widely projected as a top 15 pick three to four months ago. The quarterback situation is going to be, it's fascinating to me. I mean, you've got Arizona sitting at one, moved up to go get a quarterback last year in Josh Rosen. Now it sounds like they're going to try to unload Josh Rosen, take another quarterback. Uh, you got Dwayne Haskins, who is the best pure passer in this class, but there are some question marks and some teams are starting to, to wonder if, if Drew Locke is a better option. So there, there's just so much going on with the quarterbacks that you, you never know. I don't think grade-wise that it, it's like – I know it's not like a year ago, but because it's the quarterback position and because there's such a gap, too, with – you know, if Arizona does go quarterback at one, then you get to six with the Giants. And then after that, I mean, obviously Denver's there, Cincinnati's there, 10 and 11. But really you get to Miami and Washington before you have teams that are – in dire need of quarterbacks. So it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. I think to answer your question, I, I think if they get a deal to move back, which I, if I was running the Jets, I think that that would be the best case scenario. They have enough needs and there's, there's enough depth in this class. Uh, but if not, then you stay home and, and you take a Quinn Williams or a, a Bosa or a Josh Allen. And, and you've got a, a real impact player on the defensive side. Haskins, very smart. Best pure pocket passer in this class, um, but if again, if you're if you're a scout that is pushing your GM to go the route of Locke, you're you're banging on the table for the experience that he has and some of the other things. I think I don't I don't see it, and I thought he was in phenomenal shape for him at 
Ohio State's pro day, and I think he's taking the process seriously. I think, and I know from talking to people there, it's, it's taken him a little while to fall in love with the process. And by that, I mean going to the weight room and working out and keeping himself in great shape. And so I, I think if you're looking for a reason for failure, which that's what scouts do, and they have to do it, um, I, I think you're, you're just concerned about is he always going to be in great shape and take care of himself and, and those sorts of things. But and and the lack of experience that he comes in with. But again, I I really like him. I have him rated ahead of Drew Locke, and I would argue for him based especially on on the tape and the consistency of the tape. There's less of it, but you know he faced adversity against Penn State, and the second half bounced back from what was a, his worst half of football, in my opinion, and then. And then in the final three games, I mean, you, when they needed him, Michigan, rivalry game, Northwestern, uh, Big Ten championship game, Washington is going to have six players drafted from that defense. And and different defensive styles. Don Brown, everyone's like, yeah, well, it's man-to-man coverage. Well, the next week was Northwestern. Pat Fitzgerald, who's one of the better defensive minds. And then Washington is great coaching and great personnel on the defensive side. So he saw three different – defenses and three different types of looks and a ton of talent on that side of the ball in the final three games, the biggest three games of the year. And he threw 14 touchdown passes compared to one interception and won all three games and kind of carried that football team. So I, I would make the argument for Haskins unless there was something else that that came up. But, um, but I think they're both going to be really good pros. I really do. I think this group, well, we've, it's hard to compare them to last year's record-setting four quarterbacks in the top ten. I still think that we have three really good quarterbacks at the top this year, all three of which, if put in the right situation, have a chance to be successful starters in the league. He's a tough one because there's there's a lot of potential on, on tape when you evaluate him. He's long. He's. I think he plays fast. I think he plays faster than he times. Um He's athletic, and I think he can be a very good pass rusher. And outside a quarterback, that's probably the most important trait or attribute that, that you're looking for in the league right now. So that's all there. He didn't do himself any favors. It's it's well documented. The, some of the interviews and and the whole pre-draft process. But hopefully, for for polite, he gets in the league with the right supporting cast, the right situation builds confidence and, and just takes off because he, he's got talent. He's got enough talent to become an every down starter. And certainly early in his career, he can be a, a situational pass, pass rusher that makes a difference. Let's look way ahead now. Let's look way ahead to the 2019-2020 college basketball season. I released some never too early uh, preseason rankings that was on Monday before the title game Monday morning top 25 I actually have 10 10 different conferences have at least one team ACC and SEC they have five teams apiece Big East and Big Ten have three the American Big 12 and Pac-12 have two apiece and then three other conferences it's the West Coast the Mountain West and one more Atlantic 10 they each have one team uh, some teams that I, I'm high on uh, like I mentioned with John, really high on Cincinnati. 
I, you know, I understand they're going to lose Jennifer and uh, Kane Broom, but they return their top three scores. They should return their top three scores. Again, we're sitting here really early. A lot of draft decisions haven't shaken out yet. A lot of transfer decisions haven't shaken out yet. Literally hundreds of transfers still sitting out there. A lot of guys will probably still leave. But you still get Cumberland back. You get Keith Williams back. You get Trey Scott back. Uh, Brooks, Frederick should be back. You know, at six, I'd listen to an argument that's too high. I think that Cincinnati is a very strong top ten team, though. I don't know if we're going to sit here and pick bones about putting them six versus nine, for example. I do think Cincinnati is a very, very strong top ten team. Uh, Virginia, national champions, that's a tough one. Ty Jerome, he's expected to come back. A lot of uh, draft analysts project him as a second-round pick. Uh, I think if, if he returns, I have them at number two. If he leaves, I think Virginia drops closer to like number ten, if not lower. But obviously, at this point, Tony Bennett deserves the benefit of the doubt. That's kind of the same reason why I have Texas Tech at number 14. I mean, like last year, they're losing a ton of guys. They're probably losing more impact guys for next year as they were for this year. They're losing Jarrett Culver. He's projected to be a lottery pick, probably a top five to top six picks in the 2019 draft. Matt Mooney is gone. Sensational year after transferring from South Dakota. Uh, Tariq Owens, he's finally gone. The fifth-year senior is gone. A lot of other guys. Yeah, they'll get uh, Davide Moretti back. Um, they'll get Kyler Edwards back. I think he's going to be a star. He'll be in that in uh, that conversation for all Big 12 first team. I have Texas Tech at number 14. If Texas Tech finishes the season uh, again with like a two or a three seed, a top eight to ten team won't be surprised at all. If they kind of struggle to stay in the top 25, end up with a you know four, five, six seed, that wouldn't be surprising. A- at this point, I know it's only been three years for Beard, but I think what he did this season. I'd be pretty shocked if Texas Tech completely fell out of the top 25. Uh, just going through a, a few other teams in the top 10, I have Gonzaga at number 8. I mean, they're they're want, uh, waiting on uh, official NBA decision from Hachimura, Brandon Clark. Uh, I actually have them number 8 if those two guys leave. If those two guys are back, if Hachimura and Brandon Clark are back, Gonzaga is the clear preseason number 1. It's not even close. Yeah, they'll lose Josh Perkins. That'll sting. I think that'll affect their offensive flow, maybe for the first month or so, uh, as they kind of work through that loss. But if Hachimura and Brandon Clark are back, they're the clear preseason number one. I mean, Corey Kispert is back. Uh, the, the the foreign guy, Petrosev, I probably botched that name. He'll be back. Zach Norvell is back. Uh, so right now I have Gonzaga at number eight, assuming those guys leave. If they come back, I think they're the clear number one. I have Michigan State number one. But I think if those guys come back, Gonzaga is so far above beyond what Michigan State would be. I understand that Michigan State is expected to get back Cassius Winston, Xavier Tillman, Nick Ward, Aaron Henry should be back after a really strong freshman season. Josh Langford should be healthy, still has that boot on, uh, still had that boot on for the national semifinal. Um, but he should be back. Kyle Aaron should be back from injury. So I have Michigan State number one. Then I have Michigan number three. I mentioned I have Virginia two. I have Michigan number three. I think they probably exceeded expectations this year. They narrowly missed uh, the Big Ten regular season title, but they ended up getting that top two tourney seed. And I wrote in the Never Too Early rankings, that's going to be the expectation next year, if not higher. A Big Ten championship, and I know that Michigan State could be really good, so maybe Michigan would finish second, for example. So maybe a Big Ten regular season championship wouldn't be the expectations if they were to lose that to Michigan State. Not surprising at all. But another top two seed, probably a one seed, is going to be the expectations. You get Brooks back, you get Xavier Simpson back at point guard, you get John Teske back. Uh, Brazadakis is, is reportedly supposed to come back. He probably could test draft water. Same with Jordan Poole. 
I think if Brodzdakis and Poole are gone, that's going to drop Michigan probably near the 10-ish range, 10 to 12 range. But with those guys back, with Simpson back, with Brooks back, with Livers back, Teske, uh, Brodzakis, Poole, I have Michigan number three right now. Uh, then I got Duke, uh, excuse me, Kentucky four, uh, Duke five, Cincinnati six, Marquette seven, Gonzaga eight. I have Kansas at nine. That's a tough one. Kansas has so many spots to, to fill on that roster. Uh, there, there are rumblings that they're going to. Uh, they, Dedrick Lawson just declared for the draft. KJ Lawson is leaving, transferring. We'll see if he actually transfers or if he tries to play overseas. The great news there is they get Devin Dotson back. I think he's going to be a four-year player for him, uh, for, for Kansas. Uh, Baji's back, McCormick's back, and I think they're going to go hard after some high-level transfers, some high-level recruits. Uh, Kansas number 9, Houston number 10, Seton Hall at 11. Uh, John and I just talked about that quite a bit. North Carolina number 12. They're also kind of in a weird spot, uh, kind of where Kansas is. They obviously had the, the better season, but they're going to lose their top five scorers. Cam Johnson's gone. Kobe White declared for the draft probably a top five to six pick. Luke May finally gone. Nasir Little, he's not expected to come back. He should be a lottery pick. Kenny Williams gone. So those top five guys are gone. Uh, they only have two guys in the class uh, thus far, a five-star kid and a three-star point guard. So North Carolina kind of with Kansas. They're in a weird spot right now. I think depending on what they add, they could slide into the top ten come November. Right now, I have North Carolina at number 12. Uh, Tennessee, 13. Like I said, Texas Tech, 14. Villanova, we talked about that at 15. We also talked about Louisville at 16. Florida State, 17. Uh, Oregon coming out of the Pac-12. I think Oregon is the Pac-12 favorite. I had them as a top-10 team last year in my uh, very early 2018-19 rankings. Can't put them that high this year. Had them at 18. We talked about Iowa at 19. Talked a little bit about uh, Utah State. At 20, they'll lose Quinn Taylor, lose Dwayne Brown Jr. I think that's going to hurt their front court depth, a couple of 6'8", 6'9", guys. But you do get uh, back your top four scorers there for Utah State. And unless Craig Smith uh, gets poached here late in this coaching carousel, we'll see what happens uh, with, with Bobby Hurley if he ends up taking that St. John's uh, job. And then if you, Arizona State's looking for somebody, I don't know if Craig Smith will be in play there. But, you know, it seems like Craig Smith will be back for another season at Utah State. I have LSU at 21. I have no idea what to do with them. I put that in the rankings. It's all about Will Wade. No clue what to do with them. We'll just keep them at 21 until the Will Wade situation is resolved. I have Auburn at 22. I have VCU at number 23. And like I noted in those rankings, I tried to talk myself into a higher ranking for them. Uh, but 23 felt pretty right uh, for a team that just absolutely returns everyone. Mississippi State's 24. And then Arizona State at number 25. A lot of that depends on Dort. Uh, sensational freshman season uh, for him. There. It should be kind of depending on what Dort does. They should have, I think, six of their top seven scorers back. I think Arizona State could challenge Oregon for the Pac-12 title. That's my never too early top 25. You can find the entire thing on Herosports.com. And a reminder, awesome show next week. That's Monday, April 15th. Dane Brugler, Thor Nystrom, they are all over the NFL draft. If you have any mailbag questions for them, send them to at HighMotorPod on Twitter, at HighMotorPod on Twitter. Until then, check out previous episodes of High Motor on iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, everywhere else. If you have a second, please leave a rating. Please leave a review. Always appreciate those. Really, really sincerely appreciate those ratings and reviews. Hey, thanks again to John Fanta for chatting. Uh, thanks to Todd McShay for his media time this week. And thank you to Virginia and Texas Tech. How about a big thank you to Virginia and Texas Tech for giving us an absolute beauty on Monday night. Again, come back next week. High Motor Podcast, 
Monday, April 15th, Thor Nystrom, Dane Brugler, NFL Draft episode. Thank you for listening to the High Motor Podcast on the Hero Sports Podcast Network. I saw a friend today, it had been a while, and we forgot each other's names, but it didn't matter because deep inside, the feeling still remained the same. We talked of knowing one before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in between